The following is from Red Hill Baptist Church, where we exist to glorify God, grow more like Jesus, and go with the gospel. To find out more about our ministry, or to contact us, please visit redhillbaptist.org. of God's Word, please, and find the Gospel of Matthew, so the first book there in the New Testament, Matthew, and find the third chapter, and this morning we're going to do something that we cannot do in real life, 
You know, last week, if you were here, we looked at um, Zacharias and Elizabeth as they named their eight-year-old, or should say eight-day-old, little baby boy, their eight-day-old little baby boy named John. And we were told at the end of last week that he grew and became strong in uh, spirit. And and now we're going to do something we can't do in our own lives. We're going to fast forward 30 years or so in his life. We're going to just fast forward. So, in other words, last week we had John, this little eight-day-old baby, and today we have John, the full-grown man. You're going to find the passage there, if you would, please, at the beginning of the third chapter of Matthew. And I want to read verses 1 through 6. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And it says in Matthew 3, 1 through 6, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, for all these years, beloved, John has kind of been living a hidden life. He was hidden, first of all, in the, in the home of his parents, whom we assume at this point in the story are no longer uh, with him. They have died. And, and then he's been hidden out in the desert or the wilderness area. And then all of a sudden, it seems he burst upon the scene with a message that causes quite a stir. And as I've mentioned before, um, if we were to be able to see John the Baptist, um, we would consider him to be an unusual man. If you saw him walking towards you, uh, maybe on the, the sidewalk, uh, as you're going along the sidewalk next to a street there, uh, you would see him coming your way. You might would cross over to the other side of the street and get on the other sidewalk. If you saw him walking towards your car in a parking lot, you'd probably reach over and hit the lock button or maybe even drive away. In fact, um, he does not come dressed in a slick suit or a snazzy tie or shiny shoes. He comes dressed as a rugged desert dweller. Uh, But I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, In our few minutes together today, I want to look at this man as presented here in this passage. And before I do, I've got to remind you of what the Lord Jesus said about him in Matthew 11, 11. These are the words of Jesus. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there's not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So you're talking about one of the greatest men. The Lord Jesus said among those born of women up to that time, um, none greater than John the Baptist. Well, let's see what we can learn about John here in these uh, six verses together. And as I studied and pondered this, and as I told you at the beginning, I've I've never done an in-depth study on John and his life. It's been eye-opening in many regards for me. It's been a blessing to me. I hope it will be the same to you. But I want to point out, first of all today, that John was a simple man. A simple man. It says in verse number one that he was a preacher. It says John the Baptist came preaching. He was a herald. He was a spokesman for God. And it's important to remember, beloved, that preachers are, are not called by man. Preachers are called by God. 
And we have that's the case if you want to write, write down this reference. Luke chapter 3, verse 2. Luke chapter 3, verse 2 says, While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And so he's a preacher called by God. Luke chapter 3, verse 2. And, and, and please hear me. I value education. And I value preparation. But I'm afraid that too many churches have fallen into the trap of calling professionally degreed men uh, to be their pastors, regardless of their holiness, regardless of their true knowledge of God. We need preachers today in our pulpits all over America, in fact, all over the world, who know God, who love God, and who serve God. And that is a calling from God upon their life. And whether they have the opportunity to go and further their education or not, maybe they're called as a young person, they have that opportunity. Maybe they're called later in life, they don't have that opportunity. We're called of God. And we're commissioned by God. And the call to preach is a high and holy calling. It's not to be taken lightly. It's not to be treated casually. It's a sacred call of God upon a man to be a mouthpiece for God. And it grieves me today. I'm just going to be honest with you. As I look across Christendom, you know, it's very easy to do today because of social media and the Internet and whatnot. And I see what's going on. Those who act as clowns and buffoons in the pulpit. Now, a sense of humor is one thing. And if you've got a sense of humor... Uh, sanctify it, give it to the Lord, use it for His honor and glory, use it wisely. But to make a joke of this sacred place, this sacred moment, the preaching of the Word of God, may God help us. But it's going on, it seems, all over the place. Listen, those who are called to teach, those who are called to preach, the Scripture says, are going to have to give an account and a more strict account. But listen, young man, if God is calling you to the ministry, respond in obedience and faith. Respond in obedience and faith today. But John, he's a simple man. He came preaching. He was a preacher. And not only that, we notice that he lived in the wilderness or the desert, depending upon your translation. He did not have a fancy home. Uh, in fact, in many regards, I guess we could say he didn't even have a humble home. He probably dwelt in the caves and obviously lived off the land. Now, once again, he was so unlike us. Why would God send the forerunner of the Messiah, the one who's going to go before the Lord Jesus and have him live out in the wilderness and the desert out there, maybe perhaps probably living in caves? Why would he send him out there to be uh, preaching and baptizing? Barton made four suggestions of why he may have dwelt in the desert. First of all, to get away from distractions. So he could hear God's instructions. I mean, if you want to be alone, there's just something about going out and being alone in, in nature and, and God can speak to your heart. He said maybe it was because he could catch the undivided attention of the people. They had to leave the villages and leave the city and come out to hear him. Perhaps it was to symbolize a sharp break with the hypocrisy of the religious leaders who preferred their luxurious homes and positions of authority as they went about doing God's work or Perhaps it was to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies that said that Messiah's forerunner will be preaching in the wilderness. And of course, we know that is the case. But for whatever reason, God chose to put him, this man, unusual to us in so many ways, this man out in the wilderness or the desert uh, to live and to minister. And he was a simple man. He lived off the land and lived a pretty simple life. We, we find he was a simple man in his dress. 
you look at chapter 3, verse 4, we read it together. It says, now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He was like the prophet Elijah. Jot this reference down, 2 Kings 1, 7 and 8. 2 Kings 1, 7 and 8. Then he said to them, What kind of man was it who came to meet you and told you these words? So they answered him, this is talking about Elijah, a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. (laughs) John's dress was not... Now, when it says he was wearing uh, a camel's hair with a leather belt, he was not wearing a luxurious camel hair jacket with a Gucci belt. That's not the picture at all. I mean, this man was a rugged man. Um, It was not about fashion. It was about function. And he would definitely stand out from all the other religious leaders. If you were to line them up, you could pretty much tell which fellow lives out in the wilderness, which fellow's not into all the pomp and circumstance, which fellow lived a very simple, simple life. Again, even today, there are many or ministers, I should say some ministers, who live and dress in extravagant ways. I don't know if you know, there's, there's an Instagram account. And uh, this Instagram account is devoted to showing pictures of ministers and people who are religious leaders and what they're wearing. And they put up a picture of them and they put up a picture of how much what they're wearing costs. And it's mind-blowing what they pay for some of these things. And, and what, a, what a sad testimony for Jesus Christ um, that that is what is getting highlighted. Not Jesus, not the gospel, but extravagant, luxurious, um, over-exorbitant clothing and fashion. Um, but don't miss this. John was not calling people to live like he did. As one author noted, he was not calling others to live and dress as he did. He was calling people away from liturgically dressed hypocrites who were leading people to hell. There was a difference. John was not preaching everybody needs to wear camel hair. Everybody needs to wear a leather belt. Everybody needs to live in caves. Everybody needs to live in the wilderness. He was not doing that at all. That was God's calling upon his life. God has called us all in various ways. We're to follow God's calling upon our life. He was a simple man in his occupation. He was a preacher. In his address, he lived in the desert or wilderness. In his dress, he had a camel cloak and a leather belt. And then even in his diet, if you look at the end of verse 4, it says his food were locusts and wild honey. In other words, it's the idea that he was living off the land. And just as an aside, in case you're wondering, because you might want, you might get hungry reading this and think, man, I'd love a little locust and wild honey. They tell me locusts are prepared as food in various ways. Sometimes they're pounded, then mixed with flour and water and baked into cakes. Mm. Sometimes boiled, roasted, or stewed in butter and then eaten. So you may want to go home and try to find you some locusts and beat those babies out, mix them in some flour and butter, make you a locust cake, and put a little wild honey over it, and you'll be like John the Baptist. But here he is, your man, our man, John the Baptist. And old J. Vernon McGee, you may have heard him on the radio throughout the years, he said he's an unusual man, friend, a man with a mission. He's really, I love this, he's really an Old Testament character walking out of the Old Testament onto the pages of the New Testament. In fact, he's the last 
of the Old Testament prophets. And what a, that's a good picture, if you will. You have this Old Testament prophet, if you will, walking out of the Old Testament onto the pages of the New Testament. And here he is, John the Baptist. He's a simple man, but then likewise, he has a simple message. We notice his message now at verse number 2. You're in Matthew 3 still. Matthew 3, 2. Here's his message saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John's message is clear and to the point. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's no mistaking in what he's saying. And beloved, this is a message that's really missing from a lot of pulpits today. It's not popular. It's not cool. It's not hip. It's not vogue. It's not fashionable to call people to repent. The PR crowd would warn against it. I mean, it just doesn't float well on social media. It doesn't pop. It doesn't have a buzz on your video. It doesn't even look good on your website to call people to repentance. But it needs sounded in our nation like never before. People need to repent. David Gusick wrote, it's entirely accurate to say it's the first word of the gospel. In fact, listen, repent was the first word of John the Baptist and his gospel in Matthew 3. Repent was the first word of Jesus' gospel in Matthew chapter 4 and Mark chapter 1. Repent was the first word in the preaching ministry of the 12 disciples in Mark chapter 6. Repent was the first word in the preaching instructions Jesus gave to the disciples after his resurrection in Luke 24. Repent was the first word of exhortation in the first Christian sermon in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And repent was the first word in the mouth of the Apostle Paul through his ministry in Acts chapter 26. I think it's pretty safe to say repent is a big deal. Repentance is a big deal. It's the first word of the gospel. But then you say, well, what does repent mean? Now imagine you have this rugged man there in the wilderness coming up. He's in camel's hair, leather belt, and he comes along. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That sounded more like Billy Graham than it did John the Baptist. But you get the point. Repent, repent. Repent. What does it mean? Well, repent, beloved, is a change of mind that leads to a change of life and actions. Repentance is more than just feeling sorry. Repentance is more than just remorse. On one occasion, a group of children, uh, believe it or not, they were asked about repentance. And you never know what children are going to say. It's just a, that's just one of the fun things about children and working with children. But they were asked about repentance and one said that it meant being sorry for your sins. Being sorry for your sins. But then a little girl, she spoke up and defined it even better. She said it this way, it's being sorry enough to quit. You see, repentance is not just being sorry about your sin. It's being sorry enough to quit. It's a change of mind and a change of direction. It's 180 degree turnaround. So in other words, you're walking in one direction. To repent is to turn around and go in the opposite direction. That's what repentance is. Now, it involves being sorry and remorseful for sure, but it's more than just being sorry. You know, some people are remorseful and sorry not because they offended a holy God. They're remorseful and sorry because they got caught. And that's not repentance. Repentance involves sorrow and so forth, but it's the idea that I'm changing my mind, I'm changing my direction, I'm changing my life. It's more than just being sorry because you got caught. It's sorrow over offending a holy God. It's more than feelings, although it involves feelings, I think, almost all the time. But it's a change. 
True repentance brings about a change in a person's life. And yes, repentance is part of salvation. Faith and repentance are really two sides of the same coin. In many ways, you cannot come to Christ without turning from your sin. I like the way one author said it. They said, is repentance something we must do before we can come to God? They answered yes and no. Repentance does not describe something we must do before we come to God. It describes what coming to God is like. If you're in New York and I tell you to come to Los Angeles, I don't really need to tell you, leave New York and come to Los Angeles. To come to Los Angeles is to leave New York. And if you haven't left New York, you certainly can't come to Los Angeles. And we can't come to the kingdom of God. We can't come to salvation unless we leave our sin and our self-life. But don't misunderstand. Coming to Christ is not about cleaning yourself up. There are people who are going to go to hell, sad to say, because they think, well, before I can come to Christ, I better clean myself up. No, that's not the case at all. You see, only Christ can clean you up. Only Christ can forgive your sin. Uh, That's why we sing, just as I am, I come. But salvation involves repentance and belief. And you can't have one without the other. They go together. And when someone truly believes, they repent. And when someone truly repents, they believe. It's all tied together. You don't want your sin and your self-life anymore. You want Christ as your Savior. You want Christ as your Lord. And i got to ask that, by the way. Have you done that? Have you turned from your sin, left your sin, and come to faith in Christ? If not, come today. But when he comes preaching... And by the way, that's what I want you to notice here about John. And we're going to see more of this next week, God willing. Is John is the type of preacher that brings those hard messages. And we need those. We need those people in our life to come. That's the one good thing about preaching the Bible. Because if you preach through the Bible, whether it's a book or a text or a passage or a life, you've got to cover a lot of different things. And we have to cover this whole idea of repentance here. Now notice his message here. The second part says repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom is here. In other words, the king is here. The Messiah, Jesus, is here. And this brings us to the third point I want to make today about John. Not only was he a simple man with a simple message, but he also had a simple mission. A simple mission. Now I don't mean simple in the fact that it was easy. The mission that John was given cost him his head, and I mean, yes, literally it cost him his head. But I mean it's simple as opposed to complex. His mission was simple as opposed to complex. His mission was to be the forerunner of Jesus. You're still in Matthew 3? Notice verse 3. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And then Matthew 3, 5, and 6 Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. So you notice here that John was called to preach by the Lord and he was also called to baptize by the Lord. Write this reference down, John 1.33. This was not John's idea. The Lord gave him this. John 1.33, he says this, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize... He who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he's talking about the Messiah, the Jesus, uh, Jesus. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. John was preparing the way for the Messiah. 
He was calling people to repentance. He was calling people to public confession uh, of their belief through baptism. And this is quite amazing. And we'll see more of this next week. We'll get into it more. But suffice it to say that to see this many Jewish people submitting to baptism to John's hands is just simply incredible. And we'll dive into that more next week. But don't miss this part today. John's ministry was not about John. His mission was not about John. His message was not about John. It, you're there in Matthew. Would you go over to John chapter 1? We're about ready to wrap things up, but I want you to see this. As we think about his mission as being this forerunner crying in the wilderness, I want you to see the testimony of John in John chapter 1. Begin reading at verse 19. We'll read down through verse 27. A few more comments and then we'll be done. John 1.19, he says, Now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? <laughs> he says, Now he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you, a, are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Well, that's a, that's, a, that's a challenging question, by the way. What do you say about yourself? Verse 23. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. Talking about, of course, the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord Jesus. I want you to see today that John's life, John's ministry, John's message, John's everything was about Jesus Christ. Now, you know, I said at the beginning of the message that we had fast-forwarded 30 years or so of his life. But what I didn't tell you is this. That was most of his life. The hidden years of John that was the majority of his life. Why? Because scholars estimate that John's public ministry only lasted as short as six months to not much more than a year. And so the majority of his life were these hidden years that we don't know anything about. You see, it's not the length of life that determines greatness. It's the focus of life. And John's focus in life was Jesus Christ. In all honesty, none of us, none of us knows how long we have left. This could be our final day. We could have 50 years left. And anywhere in between. Maybe much longer for some. But where is our focus in life? John was a simple man with a simple message on a simple mission. But it was the greatest mission and the greatest message. And that is, there's one coming behind John and John is not even worthy to reach down and even handle his sandal strap, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus.
Beloved, this is why John is one of the greatest men who ever lived. Unlike us in so many ways, but so mightily used and blessed of God. May we emulate him in our own lives. Would you bow in prayer with me? Before we pray, I want to ask you four questions. While your head is bowed and your eyes are closed, I'm going to ask the questions quickly. Number one, have you repented and believed in Jesus? Have you repented and believed in Jesus? If not, today's the day to do that. We'd love to help you. Secondly, maybe somebody here. God is calling you to full-time Christian service. He still does that, by the way. And encourage you to submit to Him. Third, is your life too cluttered with things to serve as He desires? Because, you know, John's a simple man. We make things so complex. Maybe you've made your life so complex with stuff and commitments and on and on that you can't serve the way the Lord wants you to. What needs to change? And then, fourth and finally, are you like John? Are you calling other people to repent and believe in Jesus? Are you calling other people to repent and believe in Jesus? I don't know what God is saying to you Maybe one of those four areas or maybe something else. But can I encourage you today to be obedient and submissive to his call. Father, thank you for John. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the calling you placed upon our life. Lord, I pray that you'll minister your grace, your help in each life, in each one who's listening this very moment. May the Spirit have his will and his way in our life. Lord, we love you today. We thank you for this strong word from this great man, John. May we be like him. May we call others to you. May we point others to you. May our lives be all about you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning, and the altar is open. If you'd like to come and pray today, 433, I surrender all. If you need to be saved today, we'd love to help you with that. Just come down and say, hey, I need to be saved. Or I don't know if I'm saved. Or I don't know. I have questions. We'd love to sit down and talk with you. Love to take time after the service and talk with you. Uh, just come and let us know. That's why we're here. And we'd love to do that. If you want to come and pray in some other regard, we would invite you to come. But let's stand and sing, 433, I surrender all.
Thank you for listening today. We trust that our time together was a blessing to you. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us on Facebook, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and of course on our website at redhillbaptist.org. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you.